This is Ed Cohen, broadcast host on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com, a broadcast service of Global HR News and Global Business News. Our special guest today is Chuck Brooks, coming to you from the Washington, D.C. area. Hello, Chuck. Hi, Ed. How are you doing today? It's great. Thanks for being our guest again. I'm happy to. So, Chuck, tell us what your job function is. And I understand you have launched your own business, your own consultancy. So why don't we start at the top? Now, I know that you're an expert in cybersecurity and things related to that. So why don't you take it from there? Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, I am an expert in cybersecurity. actually recognizes number two by AFSEC one of the large global organizations. And I've been writing regularly for Forbes, Homeland Security Today. And my background, as you know, has been in government. I was one of the first people at Plank Holder at DHS. And then I've been primarily in industry for the last few years, including General Dynamics. And just a couple of months ago, I decided to go off and launch because uh, my own business, because I do a lot of branding and speaking and talking. And it's difficult when you're in the, the industry to basically get everything cleared quick enough to participate in conferences and calls. And, and this is really what I wanted to do. So it's been exciting for me. Yeah, I bet. Wow. That's an exciting place to be these days, too, about government and 5G. Tell us about 5G. What is that? Is that a secure way to communicate, or is it? It depends. There's a lot of debate about that. If you recall a few months back, there was a memo leaked from the National Security Council that was very worried about the U.S. infrastructure being dominated by Huawei, a Chinese company, and them having access to a lot of our information and data. So it, the question is whether it can be secure. The question is, yes, there are things you can do, encrypt and other things. But what it's going to do is really revolutionize the compression times, the speed of sharing information, and serve as a backbone of communication. It's in its early stages now, and there'll actually be a 5G, uh, there'll be a 6G event at one point. But I think in answer to your question, it is risky in a cybersecurity sense, but it will revolutionize communications to allow for things like smart cities, and Internet of Things, and all things that are happening in the near future. So what you're talking about is high speed, just a, a larger bandwidth? Well, it's more than that. It's a whole inf new infrastructure. And it communicates with satellites. It, it communicates with cars, with, with, with everything you could think about. And it does it so much faster. And it's able to take in and ingest so much more information that it, it revolutionizes capabilities if you're in data analytics, if you're in intelligence trying to listen and find out things if you're trying to gather data on an industry. It'll put a, basically new capabilities in, into all the large top technology companies and consumer eventually too when you're dealing with your, your wireless phones. So about a week or so ago, I saw something that you posted on LinkedIn. It was several things, but one of them stuck in my mind here and I copied it. It was a fact file, History of the Industrial Revolution, 1.0, 2.0, etc. And 4.0 is sort of what's today, I guess, digitalization, introduction of connected devices, data analytics, artificial intelligence, technologies to automate processes. And then what you're talking about is 5.0, right? 5.0. And it says here, future personalization. What's that mean? Well, it's becoming, there's, there's several definitions of that can be. We're moving into it, and a good example is, is, you know, you mentioned some of the things here, but, the, you know, one of them is the real-time analytics and, and predictive analysis through big data, but the personalization of it is that you'll get it instantly, and depending upon what you are doing or what interest you are, you have it. The science fiction part of it, which is no longer science fiction, 
is that now computers can be basically tied up to it's called neuromorphic connections with, with your brain. And, and that's what's going to happen. You're going to have people have implants. They'll be able to communicate without having to have uh, uh, computers with them. Uh, there'll be ability to pull up information. It's going to change the way we do things. And it's already been experimented right now with people who have been able to communicate through brainwaves and, and move to uh, devices. And, and think about what, what could happen in the next five or 10 years with the, with these new capabilities. So it's, it's really an interesting area. If you're looking beyond 4.0, and you're gonna, then you have to also put quantum computing into the equation, which is going to revolutionize computing and the ability to, to store and, and read data. And you'll look at all the nanotechnologies that are coming to the thing where you miniaturize uh, drug deliveries. Everything you can think about with material science, too, will be changed. So it's going to be a revolution beyond the revolution we're already experiencing right now. So what happens to humans? How can humans learn how to deal with all this? That's a great question. You know, we've come so far, just even the last decade, how about people communicate? Kids talking on Snapchat, instant information everywhere, how the uh, social relationships are built. It's uh, their brains are being rewired too, and in some cases, psychologists say so. Everything is changing. We're becoming more like machines in a sense. So I think the interaction between humans and machines will grow, take time to sort of basically assimilate to it, but there'll be the augmented reality and virtual reality too that will play a role in this. So you know, if you want to travel around the world, you may be traveling as a holograph or looking into augmented situation or actually even a, a creative situation. So it's going to be so revolutionary in concept that it's way beyond anything I think that we've looked at. And the, the frightening part, of course, is the vulnerability in a cybersecurity sense, because if everything's connected, everything's vulnerable. So instead of me getting on a plane, never mind the carbon impact or the discomfort of flying cross country and staying in a hotel, if I wanted to holograph myself into Washington in February 27, <laughs> how does that work? Well, I think you got to wait a decade for that, but they're doing that now in, in, in entertainment. You know, they're using even Michael Jackson live performances and stuff. But uh, so they're doing it. But the, the ability to control it and, and get the feedback instantly, not so far down the line, actually, but it will happen. And we're already at just if you look at how we, we share meetings now and how we're even doing talk right now, that wasn't so common a few years back. Now you have virtual meetings pretty much daily. So it'll just be the next step. Okay, so cybersecurity, like for instance, in the news today, the business news, why are governments afraid of the merger between T-Mobile and Sprint? You know, what's the big deal here? And what's going on when there's a big threat such as Huawei and the talk today in the news about the potential of the government, U.S. government investing in a Western high-tech company to compete with Huawei? Well, I think that's a, actually a good thing in that sense. I mean, there's two two concerns. There's one is security and the other is privacy. So if you're talking to a lot of the people out in Silicon Valley and other people that are working in, in private industry, they say, well, we don't want Big Brother looking at us, the government and stuff like that. But the fact is everyone is already looking at you, not just the governments, other governments, nation states. Chinese have probably more data than, you, than anyone else. So it's not a question of privacy anymore. Vince Cerf, the founder of the Internet, uh, now with uh, Google, uh, chief evangelist, said that, you know, there's no such thing as privacy anymore. And he's right. There really isn't. So I think the capability then is how do you protect your assets and IP? And if IP is getting stolen and if we're getting becoming so vulnerable to, to malware and, and, and ransomware, what do we do to prioritize our security? So it's a trade-off, but I think it's a, a critical trade-off, particularly as we become more interconnected, the Internet of Things, 50 billion devices comes online. It's hard to put my head around it. 
Maybe it's because I'm too old. I don't know. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, I guess. Maybe not funny. It's scary. Yeah. Okay, so what learning is there? How can people be reskilled? What's the process of reskilling? Well, I think there's a conception that everything has to be technical, and that's not the case. There's so much automation now that there's really people that can orchestrate that automation. I think a lot of the, the reskilling is basically understanding the role of technology in society, learning what the soft skills are, integrating the leadership of those companies. So I think you still have the technical aspects, but you don't need to be reskilled. You just need to know that where society is moving, where Industry 4.0 is, and what basically get adept on what technologies are coming online, particularly with artificial intelligence and machine learning, and what impact they'll have. And, and there's also a lot of online, I think the social media is always criticized, but one of the benefits is you, the information is out there. If you want to take a course from a leading university on artificial intelligence and machine learning, or anything else for that matter, you can almost do it for free nowadays. It's all out there. Or you can get certified and, and go through actually formal training. So I recommend for anyone out there that's interested in technology and cybersecurity, the first thing to do is go on LinkedIn, read a lot of the postings from the specific groups that they may focus on with emerging technology or cybersecurity and get well-versed in, in what the trends are and what the new technologies are and who's doing what. And then if you're interested, go get educated. Go to, go to a night class, go to grad school, or go to a seminar. There's, there's so much out there. Fascinating. So let's talk about your article that appeared in Forbes about black swans. Do you want to address that? Sure. Yeah, I put that out uh, recently, and it's got a lot of attention because we're all connected and because we have all this information instantly. But it used to be when Orson Welles said that the aliens are coming from Mars, and everyone used to panic because they didn't have the access to the information and knowledge. But the problem is, with this dependency on technology, we also become invulnerable. And there are a lot of things that could that cause issues that a black swan could basically destroy our civilization. And one of those is electronic magnetic pulse, since we're all dependent upon electronics, a solar flare or a pulse generated by an adversary could knock out our electronics, our grid, and uh, we wouldn't know how to survive. We wouldn't have to be able to communicate. Even our cars are dependent on computers. So I think all that kind of stuff is really critical to understand. Another black swan might be cybersecurity itself, artificial intelligence taking out, taking control, infecting ransomware everywhere. Could be actually a terrorist doing such thing. Get into our critical infrastructures and take it down. And that would basically be a a catastrophic situation. Now, the whole formula for uh, risk is the threat times the vulnerability times the consequence. And I think now because of these issues, and a good example is the virus going on right now in, in China, is that now we all know about it. What do we do to stop it? And with bioterrorism is a real threat. That, again, is another black swan that could basically create another plague that takes out the, the world. So I think people don't like to talk about it, but it could be anything from a meteorite to a cyber attack to EMP that could basically uh, put civilization back in the Stone Age. So one of the ways to mitigate risk is to prepare against it. And I know that there is a new initiative to do that for EMP. I know that there is a new initiative to do that for cybersecurity. And there's even talk about intercepting meteorites with, through NASA and New Space Force. So you have to look at the threats and the scary nature of them. And, and black swans basically uh, calls attention to the, the un, unpredicted threat. So let's talk about global warming and how can technology help us deal with the impact? You get into also, you go into technology, you get into geopolitics, because a lot of the problem is, is that as the United States, we do have 
regulations that we follow, and we are one of the lowest in terms of putting pollutants in the air. But there are other countries like China and India don't quite follow the same regulations. So we have limited control of that. But our technologies like solar energies, there's now ways to burn coal without the fumes coming out. Still nuclear energy that's sitting dormant in a lot of places because they stopped doing it, which can be made safer now. So I think that the more we get off fossil fuels, the better. And also, the more we basically are able to take fossil fuels and make them cleaner, the better. So technology plays a role in all of that. Yeah. So I've read about that, but it's not talked about anywhere. It's probably political. What I'm talking about is, well, there are two things. First of all, somebody wrote something recently that I read that to use coal, because coal is so abundant and, of course, dirty, but using some kind of nuclear energy to purify coal. That was one yeah, I mean, article. Clean coal, clean coal are, are, are technologies available now, and some are being used. I think with almost every industry, and, and, and like I said, the United States is actually a pretty good example of how to be energy efficient and create safe, secure operating environments. But a lot of the CO2 and all that stuff with, with much bigger populated societies, I don't know if you've ever if you've been to China recently, the pollution that they have there is just basically out of control because they haven't put these regulations in. They have so many plants without the ocean safety requirements that we have in the United States. So how we can get them to adhere to these standards is probably more challenging issue than the technology implementation, the technology itself. But I think eventually something has to be done. So Chuck, it's been a delight to speak with you about all this stuff. We could probably do a deep dive on this for a day or two or more, but we don't have time or capability right now. If you could just sum up about what is being done from your point of view in the science community to help companies protect our computers from malware and ransomware. Sure. One of the things being done is is there's a growing public-private partnership happening between the government and industry. And it's been a two-way street, and it's expanded with the the new uh, critical infrastructure agency at, at Department of Homeland Security which is sharing threat intelligence and in, uh, in malware attacks and, and ransomware. They're working together to, to recommend and standardize some of the best technologies and defenses against those threats. So I, I see a lot of promise there. And also at the creativity and the new technologies coming online out of this country and some of the others like Israel and other and cyber are giving us hope. There is problems on the other side because we're dealing now dealing with a greater threat from uh, nation states and more sophisticated criminal adversaries. So we have to be just as good as they are or better because the technology aspect of, of getting through is, is much more devastating in an economic sense. And there's no sort of retribution to them. So, but I, I'm a positive with the cooperation happening now between the private and public sector. Chuck, how can people get in touch with you for more info? Best way is to contact me on LinkedIn. My profile's there, I around 60,000 followers, or on Twitter at Chuck D. Brooks. I respond pretty much as much as I can to everyone, but LinkedIn is usually the easiest way. I'm, I'm on it all night. <laughs> Insomniac, so I'd be happy to, to get in touch with people. Great. Okay. Thank you so much once again for being our guest on Global Radio Talk Show. That was Chuck Brooks. He is a wonderkin <laughs> of cool information. He's been named the top tech person to follow by LinkedIn technology and cybersecurity, Forbes contributor, adjunct faculty of Georgetown University. And he is just a great person to pick his brain. He'll share information 
as you could tell. He's an ambassador and thought leader and as part of the Cybersecurity Collaborative in Washington, D.C. area. Once again, it's LinkedIn, Chuck Brooks. So thank you, Chuck Brooks. You too. Thank you, Ed. Okay, this is Ed Cohen signing off from San Diego, and that was Chuck in Washington. <laughs>